This morning, as we once again look at the book of James, we're already in chapter 4, the book of James. Some people are like, amen, let's go, get it done. But it's challenged me again. The book of James challenges me. And I've titled my sermon this morning, Dealing with Conflict. Dealing with Conflict, because here's the truth. In life, there will always be some kind of conflict or the other. And here's the thing that matters the most. I may not be able to control the problem or control the person who causes the conflict. But what I can do is control me in the midst of all that conflict. That's all I can control. James talks about that in this passage this morning and how to kind of avoid arguments. And he gives us both as you read this passage, we read this passage. He gives us uh, some things that cause conflicts and then he gives us kind of like a solution to conflict too. The, uh, the remedy as such. And so turn with me to the book of James once again. And I'm sure even as you read this passage, you can think about someone who really causes a lot of conflict in your life, right? James chapter 4, we're going to read from verses one through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You when you ask, you, uh, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He does not wait, uh, have a way of saying things gently, James. He just gives it to us. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says... Uh, or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he that the spirit he caused to live in us envies in intensely but he gives us more grace that is why scripture says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves then to god resist the devil and he will flee from you come near to god and he will come near to you Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Again, James does not beat around the bush at all. He gets right to the point and, you know, there's no way of uh, putting things sweetly as such. Because he doesn't really waste any time at all. And he really gives us a lot of insight way before even the whole branch of psychology or whatever you want to call it. What causes conflict? What causes quarrels? What causes all these fights among you? Don't you know that they come from your desires that battle within you? What's the cause of the conflict? Straightforward, right there in the beginning. And that's such a key verse. It starts with the conflict that begins, that is, or the desires that battle inside of you. And the truth is, conflict starts early. 
I mean, you look at babies when they don't get what they want. I'm glad I'm not dealing with that right now. Heather has to deal with all that. <laughs> you can tell I'm missing them. But my time, I know, my time is coming. But it's true. You don't have to talk to be in conflict. You don't have to say a single thing and someone's going to be mad at you anyway. Right? That's just life. Happens all the time. You don't have to argue. Like I said, you don't have to talk to argue with someone. And I find this especially, you know, talking about conflict and, and I've used this passage while dealing, I mean, while talking about marriage and something else and uh, like that within families. But it's so true. It does impact the things closest to us. You know, because marriage, you think about it, marriage is actually built and strengthened through conflict. Through conflict. Because there really are no fairy tale marriages as such because marriages work. Yeah, you can have a fairy tale wedding, but the rest of it is work. You know, people, it's kind of, I kind of look at some people because they have this idealistic view and unrealistic expectations from marriage and and then reality really sets in after a little while after the honeymoon phase has gone you know and that reality just throws them so out of sync with what's happening you know and that frustration causes conflict in marriage and again not just marriage but in every relationship what causes conflict very often according to James is our own selfish desires Here you got to realize that desires are, and especially the ones that he talks about, are God-given desires. But the problem is this, the devil distorts those desires and that's what causes conflict. Those desires that are out of control as such cause conflict. And what does he talk about? Number one, the first thing he talks about here is coveting. To covet the desire to have more and especially something that you don't have but you see someone else have. We want things, we want stuff for whatever reason, materialism, possess, I mean just possessing stuff, possessions. And he says there in verse 2, you want what you don't have, you long, basically long for what others have. And that causes conflict. Now again, don't get me wrong, the desire to have is not a bad thing. God created things for us to enjoy That's what they're there for. We're supposed to use and enjoy things and love people. Use things and love people. But we get it the other way around. We love things and use people. Because we start loving things a little too much and people don't matter after some time. Because we get the equation backwards. We start loving things and use people just to get what we want we manipulate we control we we move things around us just because we want to get what we want we need to be careful because the world bombards us i mean you talk about and i've used this example why do you think commercials have such a big effect why do you think people spend millions of dollars in commercials because it creates the desire that i want what that out there Somehow, if I use Axe deodorant, all these women are going to come running after me, right? I use that at youth groups and everything else, and they all think that's the funniest thing. But that's, that's what they're trying to tell you. 
That if you only get that thing, you'll be, oh yeah, that's it. You're done. You're made. It's kind of interesting though. Stuff. Getting that desire for stuff. It just takes us way out of control. Just especially in the world we live in right now. And I was reading January this year, there was a survey done in England by the independent uh, newspaper slash magazine. And they said the number one reason of divorce that we have found in the last few years is money. And this is a totally secular group doing this study. In America, they said 56% of all marriages end in divorce because of money problems. The problem is this, money or things become more important than the relationships we have. And that's what causes conflict. Things become the focus. Things become the battleground. Inevitably, what happens as long as we run after things, and here's the thing, as long as we have things, we pretend that everything's okay. But once the things dry out, that's when the problems really show up. I like what one pastor says. The Constitution says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But today in America, we say life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. I thought it was good. How much is enough? We always say how much is enough or how much makes you happy. And the answer is always just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But like everything else, the, new, the newness wears out. The thrill wears out and we want and desire something else after some time. And 99% of the thing is driven by us looking around and coveting what others have. That's what causes conflict. And we've got to learn to deal with this desire. We've got to learn to deal with this desire. Stop comparing yourself to others and thank God for the blessings he has already given you. Thank God for what he has already given you. Please, and I've said this all the time, and I say this all the time. Do not fall into the trap. When we start thinking, if I just have this one more thing, I'll be okay. It's always, that devil is always going to hang that dangle, that carrot in front of our nose. And we buy into this philosophy. If I only have this one more, if I only have a little more money, if I only have that car that I always wanted, if I only have that kind of house that I want, I will somehow be happy. Please do not buy into that. Because the Bible warns us again and again and again when we fix our mind on stuff. We will never be satisfied because stuff will disappoint you. Stuff will disappoint you. And at the end, it will cause more conflict than anything else because we're running after stuff. Fix your eyes on Christ and the Word. That's why it talks about, the Bible says what? Fix your eyes on things that are above. Above, things that have eternal significance rather than things that will just are here one day and gone the other day. Your new car is never going to be new the whole time. Fix your eyes on things above. That's why James talks about conflict is caused by things or running after stuff. And and the truth is this. There are way too many articles even in the secular world to know when you run after stuff, you're going to get in trouble. It's not just the Bible. That's where they get the idea from. But it's just the truth. It just took people 2,000 years to figure out what the Bible and James says 2,000 years ago. Quit focusing on stuff because you will be left empty and just desiring so many other things. Anyway, the second thing he talks about is pleasure. Pleasure. 
Because we always run after stuff and desire stuff that makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. I want to be satisfied. I want, if something does not feel good, I don't want to do it. If something does not feel good, I don't want to do it. And on the other hand, if something feels good, I do it. I won't use my head, but I'll just do it anyway because it feels good. When you ask, James says, when you ask, verse 3, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. On your pleasures. One translation says, you want only things that will give you pleasure. That's not wrong to enjoy life at all. You know, the Bible tells us God made everything for us to have, to enjoy. It does. But again, Pleasure, like stuff, when that becomes our number one goal, it does not end well for us and ends in conflict. If we live by the attitude, if it feels good, do it, you're asking for trouble. Just do it because it feels good. It's going to cause more trouble in your life than you, you can bargain for, actually. Pleasure takes over. Very often, pleasure takes over and what you need You know, you forget what you really need because you just want what's something that makes you happy and makes you feel good. The fact is this, I'm more interested in my comfort than I'm interested in your and the way you feel. That's just the way we are. I'm more interested in doing things that satisfy my and feel good for me. I really don't think about what's happening to you. And we do this all the time. We base our lives pursuing things that make us feel good. And we are allowing our emotions to take over. We're not using our heads and being led by emotions. And when we do that, sometimes we sacrifice what's right for something that feels good. And James says, you don't get because you ask with the wrong motives. Because all you want to do is satisfy your own pleasure. People sacrifice so much. Because they don't think about the consequences of their actions and just run after and do things that just feel good at that moment. You probably know people like that. And I have met quite a few people who sat across me, you know, who've sat across me and we've had a conversation a long, long time. And they tell me, life is too short. You got to have fun, Pastor. And I say, hey, I'm not saying don't have fun. But don't don't be driven by the way you feel every time. Just by the way you feel. I have seen, and I'm like I said, I'm sure you know people and you know families that have been destroyed because someone has run after pleasure that only lasts for a little while, and not thought about the consequences their choices make on the family. Be careful, gratifying just. The sense of pleasure, pursuing pleasure, coveting and running after pleasure. The third thing, and I think this is the root of it all that he talks about right here. The desire to always want more and the desire to pursue pleasure. Things that feel good all come down to one thing. What I feel is the root of all conflict and that is pride. It's just pride at the end of the day. It's pride. It's that feeling of being empowered so that I know I am in control. Popularity, fame, whatever it is, 
Pride is the number one problem because we run and live in a generation in a world that says me first. Everybody else doesn't really matter. Me first. Like I said, we are so caught up in this me first world. Why do you think selfies are so popular? Why? Because we are obsessed with ourselves more than anything else. You know, I just have this way of telling people, you know, about this. And yeah, social media does, I mean, helps us just build our own self-image up so much. I mean, you, especially you look at, I mean, I work in a high school and these kids, they post stuff almost every 15 minutes. They have to put something on Snapchat or Twitter or whatever. I'm like, why are you so obsessed with letting the whole world know what you are doing? And they all look, you know, they all, these, and it's okay once in a while, it's fun. It's so, there's one thing to be self-confident, it's another thing to just waste your time doing something. But they love, we just love to be at the center of everybody's attention. The way I dress today, I want to let the whole world know, whatever, and there's nothing wrong with it. But when it goes out of control, we are going to have conflict. We are going to have conflict. It's like... You know, I can think about Aiden. Aiden does something. He says, hey, daddy, watch, see what I can do. And I think the whole world is doing that right now. I don't want to see what you're doing all the time. You know, but just watch me. It's all about me. Watch me. Look at me. See what I'm doing. See what I'm wearing. See everything else. We live in that kind of world. We try to impress people by, I don't know why, but it's, I know why. It's because we're proud. That's all we're caught up with. And James says, deal with that. Because Proverbs tells us pride leads to arguments. Pride leads to arguments. We're too proud. We're too proud to say sorry. We're too proud to compromise and walk halfway. When the Bible actually tells us to walk like the extra mile. Forget about taking the first step. We're too proud to take that first step. Because at the end of the day, I want to do things my way that makes me feel good. And that causes conflict again. Why is it so hard for people to admit that they've made a mistake? Because they're too scared, you know? My pride causes me to not admit that I made a mistake. The next time you get into an argument or in conflict with someone else, stop to think, is it really worth it? Really, and think with it. What is really bothering me here? Is it my pride? I don't know. Stop to think about it. Our pride, our pride makes us think that we can do things our own way. And the truth is, when we think we can do things our own way, we're not relying on God. We're not relying on God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Our motivation is driven by us. Our pride, that's what it is. And the, I mean, I'm going back to these two verses because it talks about there. First of all, we don't get simple because we don't pray, first of all. We don't get because we don't ask God. And he says, you know, I, and again, just recently I talked to someone who said, what has God ever done for me? I've had to work hard my whole life to get to where I am. You know, again, it's just like when you talk like that, when you say that, and I've said this again, we don't think about the ability to get up and work as a privilege that God has blessed us with already. We forget that. We don't, we don't get because, you know, essentially our pride makes us look at something other than God. That's what it is. 
It makes us focus on ourselves, our abilities, my talents, my everything, rather than rely on God. We don't get because we don't ask. And then again, he says, you ask because you ask with the wrong motives. We ask with the wrong motives. How many of us really evaluate our prayers we make? What is the motivation behind the things I pray? I don't know if we've stopped to think about that a lot. We know what the Bible says. My God shall supply all my needs. Are we really pursuing God and allow God to supply your need versus whining the whole time about what you need? Pursue God. We'd rather fight sometimes rather than pray. Argue with things that really don't matter rather than take it before God and pray. That's simple. That's what causes conflict. When I'm upset with someone, the last thing on my mind is pray. Rather, I want to have the last word in. Pray. You know, and I, I'll, I'll be honest here. When I get, and talking about Heather and the kids, when I find myself getting irritated and frustrated, I realize I've not spent enough time with God. It really is. I just, again, it's just for me. You know, because the truth is this. When we draw close, when we are close to God, God gives us his spirit. You know, it's that mind of Christ that comes into our minds as such. And we'll talk about that in a little while. I love that hymn, you know. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The reason we don't carry it in prayer because we think we can fix it. And rely on our own abilities. You know what he talks about in verse 6 here. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes. That's a really, really strong word. Basically, it's the idea of God declaring war on the proud. It's a strong word. I don't know if you've noticed this. If you read the Bible, you'll know this for sure. Because when a person comes and says, I've got it all together, God really can't work in that person's life. On the other hand, when you see a person who comes before God helpless and hopeless and basically says, you are the only one who can make a difference, somehow you see in the word of God. And through experience, I can tell you this. That's when God really steps in and works. When we think we have it all in control, the truth is this. The opposition to God is a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be in opposition to God. Allow him, allow him to be there. You know, how much do you really need God in your life? Versus how much do you think you can fix the problem? Think about that a little more. Please understand what I'm saying. God does not delight in making us suffer. Oh, he's doing something wrong, so I need to make him suffer. God doesn't delight in that. But at the same time, God is not going to always jump in to save you from the consequences of the choices you make. He doesn't delight in teaching us a lesson. But he's not going to always jump in to save us from our own stupidity sometimes. That's part of the growth process. He allows us. That's part of the free will he gave us right in the beginning. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us though. But we've got to come back to him. I think the Bible doesn't say it directly. But I think God, I don't think, I mean, the one thing that I think God detests the most, and I think it's pride. It doesn't come off directly and say this, but the one thing that I feel God detests the most is pride. When we think we can do it and not rely 
on him. Our pride causes arguments. Anyway, let's move on. The solution to, the, uh, to conflict. The solution to conflict. We covet. We just do things just for our own self to make ourselves feel good. And of course, it's our pride thinking that we can control every single thing. Okay? But what's the solution? And verse 6, he says what? God gives grace to the humble. And then drop down to verse 10. He says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. The only solution to conflict is humility. Humility. That is the solution to conflict. Verse 6, he says it gives grace to the humble. What is grace? And we ta- if you've been in church long enough, again, we know the answer. It's God's unmerited favor as such. Right? Something we don't deserve, but God gives us so freely anyway. That's what grace is all about. But please understand that grace is also the empowerment and enabling and enablement that the Holy Spirit gives us to change our lives. That is what grace is also because we can't do it on our own. We need God's grace to help us change our own lives. That's what grace does. Grace gives us the power to change. What do you want to change in your own life? Let me tell you now. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. Self-control and willpower only goes so far. It's God's grace that will bring lasting change in your life. It's only God's grace. That's the one sure thing that can bring about lasting change in your life. And if you want to enjoy the grace of God, all you got to do is humble yourself. Humble yourself. I'm going to say something here and I'm... I'm not suggesting that I know the mind of God or, you know, but like I said, you notice time and time again that God acts on the behalf of those who come to him in humility. God acts in those people's lives. And honestly, church, when we have that power that comes from grace, that's when we will be able to change. We will be able to change. And right between verses 6 through verse 10, James, give us, James gives us so many practical things that we can do to avoid or to stop this conflict. And I've just picked four from here. Number one, the first thing to avoid conflict or to, to solve conflict. Number one, the first thing is submit yourselves to God. It's talking about surrender. Amen. Submit yourself to God. Verse 7 says that. Give it to God. Let go and let God have control of your life. Let him be in charge. Let him be in charge of your life. That's the starting point to resolve the conflict. Listen, it's not only talking about conflict with others. What's he focusing on here? Conflict within you starts. That's where you solve it is by giving him Control. Let him really be Lord of your life. Quit trying again to run your own life and doing things your way and allow God. Allow God to take control of your life. I think James is saying what happens with other people actually starts with something that's happening inside of you. Now you can't control everything outside but what you can control is within you. And within you, you need to make him Lord. You need to surrender to him. I love what one preacher says. You don't get along with other people because you have a civil war going on inside of you. I like that. That was interesting. 
What is going on inside of you is the real issue. That's the starting point of peace. You got to be in peace with yourself before you can have peace with others. Submit. Surrender. Find peace. That peace of mind that everybody's looking for. Please take a moment to consider this, that the real conflict is not what's happening to you, it's what's happening in you. The real conflict is, conflict is not what's happening to you, it's what's happening in you. And you need to address that first. And the way to address it, it starts by surrendering your life totally to God. Amen. His control. Totally to His control. Who's in charge on the inside? Who is really in charge on the inside? Because when you don't have it going your way, you get frustrated and it leads to quarrels. God needs to be in charge, church. That's the only solution. And then I love what Colossians says. What does it say? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. When you allow Christ to rule in your heart, that's when you enjoy that peace on the inside. The peace on the inside, no matter what the conflict is outside, the peace on the inside starts with the rule of Christ in your heart, in your life. A lot of people pray, God, give us peace in the situation. What we need to really chase after is, Lord, give me peace within myself. Within me. I've worked with young couples and, you know, they... They love each other. They, you know, they feel like God has brought them together, but they just can't get along now. And I've, I've met so many and I've counseled and talked with so many of these young couples. They love each other. I don't doubt that. They feel God has really called them together, but they just argue about the silliest things sometimes. Like again, I tell, I tell them at the end of the day, it's just a power struggle. Who's in charge inside? It's when you learn to give up, control that's when you really enjoy the relationships outside too. But you got to give up control, not to your wife or your husband. It's giving up control to God. That's what really matters. Lord, you know, we pray, Lord, change my spouse, but we need to pray what? Lord, change me. Change me, because that's all you can control. And the truth is, you allow God to have total control, and when you are honest with it, you will see results. We pick and choose for whatever reason. We give God a lot of control, but there are some things that we want to hold on to because it makes us feel good. It makes us, I don't want to give up that right, right there that I've been offended. I want to hold on to it a little more. What we've got to do is just let it go. Allow God to be in control. Lord, do what you want in the way you want to do it, but do it in my life, God. I give up total control. Number two, he says, first one is give it to God, surrender. Second thing is resist the devil. Resist, resist the devil and church, especially in today's, when I talk about church in general and Christians, for some reason we're scared to talk about the devil and we somehow use heaven is real, but hell is not really real. For whatever reason, we've bought into this in recent days, you know, that the devil is not really real. And we don't want to talk about the fact that we are in a spiritual battle every single day. We don't want to talk about that because we kind of freak people out, one, and then it makes people uncomfortable, right? But the truth is this. There is a devil who is real and he has, he's smart, okay? And he has one job, to destroy everything good that God has given you. 
Everything good that God wants to do in your life is so real. And that's why James tells us to resist the enemy. Resist the enemy right there. Resist the devil. Do not, please do not minimize spiritual warfare in your life. Now, on the other hand, I'm not telling you to call out a demon in every single thing that's happening. You know what I'm talking about. But be smart. Realize that the person is real. He is real. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, the whole idea of resist is a term used from war. It's talking about taking a stand against the enemy. You take a stand and God gives you the strength and the devil flees from you. He's going to come back. Trust me, he's going to go get something else and come back to attack. But what we've got to do is stand firm. Resist the devil. Because like I said, the devil has one job, to destroy everything good that God is wanting to give you. That's all he is. That's all he has to do. And like I said, he's smart and he knows what he's going to attack. Just because, listen, we know this already. But I want us to really be aware of this. When we start doing something good, the devil is not just going to move aside and let us go. It's reality. It's not fantasy. When things start going good, when you start getting in, you notice when you start praying, you start doing things left uh, and doing things the right way, the way God wants you to do it. You have this hunger and desire for God. The enemy attacks more than ever before. He doesn't want to lose out. So he attacks a lot more and he attacks the things closest to us. He attacks family, my kids, the wife, everything else. That's what he's going to use anything to get me down. We've got to be smart about the schemes of the enemy too. Know that he's going to use things to get me down. He uses my pride, first of all, you know. why He definitely uses our pride. Because I don't want to admit anything, you know. But we've got to learn. You know, he offended me. How dare he say something about that to me. All that is is the enemy messing with our minds, telling you you are more important than anything else. How dare someone else say something about you or do something to you. He's going to use that. He's going to use your family. He does that all the time. He uses your kids, uses your spouse, whatever, to make you something to trip you up. Please be smart and aware of the way or the schemes of the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I think one of the main things he tries to do, because when you have conflict, you withdraw. I mean, that's just normal psychology. When you have conflict, you withdraw. And the devil wants to make you lonely. Because when you stand alone, first of all, you're an easy target for him. And the second thing he wants to make you do is when you feel alone, he's going to come in and tell you nobody ever cares for you. And then worse, he steps it up. Does God really care about you? You wouldn't be feeling like this if God really cares about you. You got to learn what the enemy is up to. He is real. He is a liar. Again, I'm not saying that the devil is behind or should be blamed for some of the choices we make. Okay? But let's not be so naive that we think that the enemy is not real. That the enemy is not real. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Again, he's not going to come in the Hollywood version dressed in red with those horns and the pitchfork. He's going to come in real ways to get you down. Get you down. Okay? And so, I don't know. When is the, the challenge is conflict. And let me say this. I don't know. It's hard. It's easier said than done. But in the midst of conflict, in, in the midst of something that's really making you mad, 
Can you stop to think if it's really the other person or is it the enemy that's trying to get me down? And like I said, it's, it's hard to do that in the middle of an argument. But a challenge, it's a challenge for you, a challenge for me. You don't have to show them who's boss. Tell them God is boss of my life. I don't have to prove a single thing. And then the devil's going to, that's how you resist the devil. Amen. I don't have to prove anything to you. I think we need to do it the way Jesus did it. How did Jesus resist the enemy? He gave him what? The scripture, the word. Learn the word. And one of the word, the word today is resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Pride causes argument. Okay, a couple of scriptures. When the enemy comes in, now you tell him, hey, the Bible says if I resist you, you're supposed to run away. Okay, anyway, third thing. Surrender to God, resist the enemy. Don't, please don't minimize the effect of the enemy. Please don't do that. Number three, draw close to God. I think that's the best thing, yet the hardest thing. Because in the midst of conflict, what we want to do is run away rather than come to God. In the midst of something that's happening, we want to run away. Even, and let me say this, especially when it's something that I have done. Sometimes we, and I've met so many people, and I know I've done that too. There are so many people who are so ashamed and embarrassed, they think God is never, they want to run away and not face God. The truth is the solution lies in God. Don't run away from Him, run to Him. Even though it's your fault, even though you messed up a thousand times. Don't be too embarrassed to run to God, because I promise you, His arms are open wide. His arms are open wide. Draw close to God. Do not buy into the lie that says God is not going to be happy with me now. I dare not show my face to him. That might be with parents. When I was in trouble, I never wanted to see my dad. And here in America, I always, again, I use the saying, what my dad called me making you a man is child abuse now. But <laughs> true. I did something wrong, I ran the other way. I remember putting on like seven pairs of pants because I knew I was going to get whipped when I got back home. My dad was smart enough, made me take out all of them before he smacked me. But we have that same kind of idea. When we mess up, we run away. We don't have to run away. All we've got to do is come to God. Draw close to God. Draw close to Him. The time, and again, I said this, the more time I spend with God, the more I realize, when more time I spend in the Word, the more I realize that the mind of Christ begins to live in me. The mind of Christ begins to live in me. And let me tell you this, you can count, it is a fact. The more time you spend in the Word, the more time you spend in prayer, the more you begin to be transformed into His likeness. And you begin to do things the way Christ would have done things. Draw close to God. I mean, the Bible says he keeps, what, the minds of those people in steadfast peace, right? When our minds are, what, stayed on him. It's the word there for peace is just not talking about ordinary peace right there. It's talking about lasting peace. When our minds in perfect peace, when our minds are stayed on him. Stay in the word. Draw close to God. The more you spend time with him, the more you realize you can't solve the conflict, but he gives you the strength to face the conflict. Draw close to God. God gives you the strength. God will give you the wisdom to make it through the conflict. If you want to resolve conflict, be willing to draw near to you. Notice God. Be willing to draw near to God. It's kind of interesting. 
Because you notice people, they draw close to God in time of need. We need to be drawing close to God even way before it starts. Because he gives us the strength through that need. Draw close to God. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in church. Spend time fellowshipping with Christians who will encourage you, build you up, build you up into the likeness of Christ. Who will somehow get the Word of God into your heart and into your mind. Draw close to God. Church, it really is, it's not rocket science and we know this. The more we spend time in God, the better we will always be. It doesn't solve all the problems in the world, but it's the problem inside of me that's fixed. It's just not rocket science, but like I said, it's hard for us to do it. Get up, I don't know, if it takes a, get up those 15, 10, 15 minutes earlier than usual. And let me say this, listening to Christian music the whole day is not a substitute for spending time in the Word. Uh-huh. Let's spend time in God's Word. Draw close to God. The conflict in your life, and I'm talking, uh, the conflict within you is directly proportionate to the amount of time you spend in prayer. It's not there in the Bible, but it's just from years of experience and from people I've heard from and learned from. The conflict within us is directly proportional to the amount of time I spend in the Word and in His presence. So draw close to God. And that promise is what? When we draw close to Him, what? He draws close to us too. He will come near to you. And the last one, again, the hardest thing to do is be willing to ask for forgiveness. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. If you want to stop the conflict in your life, to avoid those frustration and everything else, you have got to be willing to ask for forgiveness. First, forgiveness from God. That has to be number one. But then also it takes us way out of our comfort zone to go and ask for forgiveness from others. Now that is what humility, that takes a lot of humility to be able to go up to someone and ask for forgiveness. Be willing to ask for forgiveness from those whom you may have hurt. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. That's what he talks about here. And again, we talked about this. Don't minimize whatever happened. Even, you know, for you it was nothing. For someone else, if they say, you hurt me, don't just, whatever. If they say they hurt me, take the higher road and just say, hey, forgive me. And do it sincerely, please. That's the point. You've got to do it sincerely. And we talked about it last week, actually. Don't minimize someone else's feelings. Don't ever minimize someone else's feelings. Be willing to say sorry. Again, in conflict, in marriage, and everywhere else. Sorry for being self-centered. Be willing to say sorry. Are you willing to apologize even though 95% of it is someone else's fault? Are you willing to be humble enough to say sorry. Hey, I know we have our differences, but you know what? I think God wants us to glorify his name together. And so be willing to say sorry. Maybe a spouse, maybe kids. I don't know. Struggle. We want to show that we're perfect. If I say sorry in front of my kids, they'll think I'm weak. We th- I mean, not just kids. Anywhere outside. If I say sorry, somehow we think it's a sign of weakness. It's not. It's humility. And when we are humble, when we humble ourselves, God exalts us. That's when he lifts us up. Please understand. Humbling yourself is one thing. When God humbles you, it's a total different thing. 
I would rather humble myself before God rather than God humble me. Because I don't want to learn the lesson that way. And the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Bow your heads with me at this time. The Bible just says here in James, God lifts up the humble. Humility, again, the solution, first thing about humility is saying, God, I am not in control. You are in control of my life. That's humility. Giving up control to God is humility. God, you take control, total control of my life. And when you humble yourself, God gives you the strength to resist the enemy. To resist the enemy. I know we talk about, very often we use this verse in context of temptation. We use it in, this, in, the, in the sense of temptation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's not, I think that's, yes, it's scriptural, but that's not what James is really talking about here. He's talking about it in the context of conflict within you. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. When he comes in to whisper those things that tell you you are not worth it or tries to get you in your pride to say, how dare that person do something, you know, I got to show him who's boss. That's the resisting he's talking about there. The resisting to think you of yourselves more highly than anybody else. That's what causes conflict. Resist the enemy. Please be smart about it because the devil is way too smart to let us go. Draw close to God. Again, it's not rocket science, guys. The amount of conflict we have, and I'm not talking about conflict from the outside. The amount of conflict within ourselves is directly related and proportionate to the amount of time we spend in prayer. The amount of time we spend in His Word. Draw close to God. Don't believe the lie that You've got to run away and hide because God is done with you. Never, never run to Him instead of running away from Him. Again, it's, it's humility again, being willing to come to God. And of course, asking for forgiveness, whether it be from God or from others themselves. I don't know. There are always people who I call the holy sandpapers. You know, they rub you the wrong way and irritate the life out of you. But you've got to be willing to forgive as much as you need God's forgiveness. And don't wait. Please don't wait for the, to see whether they're sincere about their apology. Your rule, your, I mean, your role what God wants you to do is forgive. Allow God to deal with that person. That's humility, trusting God that he knows how to fix the other person. We can't fix each other. All we can do is fix ourselves. And the way to fix ourselves is by giving it, us all, giving it all to God. God, you be Lord of my life. You give me the strength 
because you give grace lord to the humble when we draw near to you the bible says the lord draws near to us too come to him and see see that he will give you the strength to go on what causes the conflict in the beginning he talks about just the desire to just have more and more and more that causes conflict inside of you because you will never be you'll always have the sense of restlessness because you keep desiring to have more you'll never be satisfied by that second thing he points out is this whole idea of pleasure and wanting to do things that only make me feel good that causes conflict in your life in your marriage within your kids at work everywhere else if you live your life by doing things that only make you feel good you will have conflict within you and don't ever let your pride get in the way trust in him cuz god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble When we humble ourselves before him, he lifts us up. Lord, we trust in you, oh God, as we surrender our lives to you, Lord. Instead of looking on the outside to try and fix the problem, Lord, I want you to look inside my heart and fix me, God. Fix me, Lord. Let my eyes be focused on you, Father. Let's all stand to our feet as we worship God. Examine your hearts. And I know if I say this, I know y'all if you can think of one person who's has conflict with you or you have conflict conflict with, I know you can think about at least a couple of people. But that's not where God wants us to be in a state of conflict. God, I pray for a sense of peace. Peace within us all, Lord. Peace within me, God. that sense of peace that only comes from a heart that surrendered to you yes god